And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I am doing great. Happy New Year to you. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. It is a brand new year, and I'm very excited for the things we have coming up for you in 2022, our listeners. But before we get into that, we're going to put put 2021 to bed, finally, and dive into our individual top tens of 2021. And before we even get started on that, I figured I'd also kick it over to you and ask sort of how do how do you feel overall uh, uh, on 2021 as a film year I mean we, we theaters came back which was nice to see um, I, I feel like a lot of movies that were delayed in in 2020 uh, came out in 2021 in addition to a lot of other movies and um, it's just been an interesting it's been an interesting year and so I'm just keep wondering your thoughts on on the year itself interesting is the best way to put it I uh, I think coming off the back of 2020 and all the delays and um, there was that huge glut of, of big movies that started just sort of stacked up towards each other towards the latter you know third of this year um, it, it got really hectic really fast I felt like I was going to the theater you know two or three times a week there for a minute um, yeah. but it, it was so good to be back in the theater again and uh, now I think we're getting over this wave, you know, uh, you know, sort of Spider-Man was the tail end of the big box office tentpole movie for 2021 and looking forward to 2022. It's looking like we're getting back to some normalcy. Uh, it'll yeah. be easier to plan and, and easier to understand when the next movie is coming out. And so that's really nice and really encouraging to see. Exactly. And seeing that, like, you know, obviously, you know, we don't know what the, the, the pandemic is ongoing and ever changing and the rules are changing. But, you know, Spider-Man's opening weekend being, you know, only what third to Infinity War and Endgame's opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, not in pandemic times is uh, is pretty impressive. And so yeah. um, it seemed like that seemed to be the movie that people were looking for to, to come back to the theater. And so um I'm just, you know, even though, you know, the movie itself is good, it's solid, I will we'll see if it made any of our top tens as we go along, but I, I'm just happy that people are returning to the theater in some way, shape, or form, so. Me too, yeah, I mean, uh, I went, you know, full disclosure, I went last night to see the new Spider-Man, and uh, it, there was really not that many people in there, which is exactly why I waited a couple of weeks, because I didn't want to <laughs> have a huge crowd of people with me. But Well, and I yeah. went to my uh, my hometown theater, uh, which we've plugged before since we uh, you know, were on the North Bend Film Festival. I went to the North Bend Theater opening night, which we are a small town, so there weren't a lot of people uh, anyway. So <laughs> I was able to go to the brewery and then go see Spider-Man and then have beer at the theater because they serve beer. So nice. uh, good times were had by all. But uh, so let's, 
we'll 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 kick it off here uh our top tens we're just gonna go i guess uh, uh we'll lay down our sort of structure we're gonna sort of leapfrog i'll start with my 10 then chris 10 and so on and so forth if there is a movie that one of us get to that is further down someone's list that person will acknowledge it and then we'll probably spend a little longer time talking on that movie specifically if we haven't done a minisode on it and if we've done a minisode on it we will just point you in the direction to the minisode um and listen to our full thoughts on it so we can keep this episode breezy um which is why i'm going first because my number 10 is a movie that we did do a minisode on back in september and it is the card counter the latest film from paul schrader um i it's yeah it's so i will just refer people to go back and listen to that i think it's minisode number four um I think we were both pretty split on the movie, if I remember correctly, um, other than uh, Oscar Isaac's performance and Tiffany Haddish's performance. I think performances all around, we were both both solid. Very strong. We were a little split on the movie. But it's a movie that stuck with me, for sure, since uh, seeing it in September, and it is my number 10. Cool. It did not end up on my list, but I, I respect it. I figured. I figured as much. I, when I was looking at the list, also full disclosure, uh, Chris and I have not shared our lists. Nope. We don't know what e- movie is on each other's list, but I knew... Looking at it, I was like, card counter's not on Chris's list, so we'll be no. able to breeze by that one pretty quickly. <laughs> and also, full disclosure, I'm really bad at, at numbering things or ranking things, because on any given day, they'll slide one way or the other. So oh, for it, sure. It, after, like, I would say, like, number five on on my list, just consider them all, like, one number, like, tied. <laughs> They're all tied for one. That's They're all fair. tied. Um, but we're at number ten, so what is what is yours? What is your number ten? My number ten was Censor. Oh, nice. It is did not make my list, but I liked that movie quite a bit. Um, I I liked it a lot, and I, it was something that I was struggling with when I was putting the list together last night, was I, I couldn't quite... I couldn't quite come down with one. Like, there were several movies that were um, in that area of... And again, this is my problem with rankings. I'm really bad at rankings, and so if you've actually looked at my letterbox, you'll see a lot of my movies fall around, like, the three-star to three-and-a-half star... Which, in my opinion, if I rate something like four stars, to me that means that the movie is good. And that I will go to bat for that movie. But I, I'm, I've am i basically gotten my fill of that movie. Um, and then four and a half and five are, you know, they are between either uh, I'm going to buy that movie and I plan to rewatch it. Or I'm going to buy that movie specifically to spring on somebody when they come visit me next. That's a five star. Like, it's a movie for so sure. good that I'm going to champion it. So, th- I, when I got to that level of ratings on my on my board I was like oh they're all movies that I more or less you know liked but you know which one can I honestly say is better than the other and I think censor was the one that stood out the most by being just the most oddball um mm-hmm. visually being very striking being um just sort of a cool eerie atmospheric um tension filled horror um that plays with that um you know, unreliable, insane uh, narrator thing that's going on, and it really sort of uh, struck a chord with me. Uh, I still think about it pretty often. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really solid movie. I look forward to revisiting it. Uh, it's a really like really astute uh, debut. I hope that I'm pronouncing the filmmaker's name correctly. Prano Bailey Bond, um, which uh, Vinegar Syndrome actually picked it up as part of their Vinegar Syndrome Pictures or Vinegar Syndrome Presents. Yeah, um, and it's got like four hours of special features or something like that on it's it. It's a cool it's, looking box set too, like the the the, the cover art and everything. And it is is just that really gorgeous splashed red, like vibrant color yeah. that they had in the the movie that I I adored. 
Oh yeah, it's a that's a solid pick. I the the only other two things I'd say like number one, I don't want to give it away, but the way the last leg of the movie plays with technique, is, yes, like blew my mind. <laughs> yes, there, that's what I mean. You you mentioned it about it being like a, a debut is like you wouldn't expect that out of somebody who's you know just yeah. kind of coming onto the scene. Like it it's it's handled very very adeptly. Agreed, agreed. And then the last thing I was going to say is that it, that movie also, because it, it, it takes place during, like, during, in the 80s, takes place during the Video Nasty era. And uh, it, it felt like anti, like, 80s nostalgia. Like, it wasn't like a, like a Stranger Things sort of thing. Like, that, yeah. that era of, like, horror. It was like, it actually used its setting for an actual narrative purpose. And I was, I was stoked about that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, the, I mean, the aesthetic. I don't have anything against the '80s this aesthetic. I have something yeah. against the glut of. Weren't the '80s so magical and fantastic? And don't you wish you could yeah. just go back to it? And it's like, no, I, I don't, don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop doing it. But I do like the analog look and feel that the '80s movies and and '80s nostalgia movies have to them. If they can just get rid of the reverence, which I think is done very well in Censor, and it's almost sort of scathing uh, in the way that Censor uh, presents it, of this 80s I, nostalgia. I, w- I could not agree more. No, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Censor is out there. Uh, check it out. It, like mm-hmm. I said, Vinegar Syndrome's got a Blu-ray out. It is available digitally as well if you want to go that route. For sure. You know, if someone did take it, then there's still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. My number nine uh, is another movie we probably won't spend a lot of time on because we dedicated a lot of time to it before, and it is Dune. Dune Oh, okay. Uh, Did that one make your list, It did make my list. It was number uh, uh, seven or six or seven, depending on what day you ask me. It was right around there. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, that was another one, and I know I talked about it on the episode. I was, like, cold coming out of it, but, mm-hmm. like, I've watched it more, and I've just, like, sort of just taken it all in, and I was like, man, this is just, it's just a jaw-dropping, like, spectacle. Yeah. And, like, it, it just, it, and a mood piece. It's it's impressive. It, like, it's impressive. That's yeah. that's about all where I'll leave it. Yep. I mean, that's how I feel about it, too. I, I think it would have been higher on my list had it been one complete long story. And, and just the fact that it leaves us as a, okay, we're done with part one. You're going to get the resolution to the story in part two that's going to come a couple years down the road. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, that's no fault against Denis Villeneuve or, you know, the it's against the studio, really. But I think that's what really hurt it. But just from what you're saying, like scale, craft sound design cinematography like everything that went into making that movie is it is like such a huge event type of movie that like like especially seeing it in the theater like after having so much time being scared really to be in a theater because you're like yeah "Yeah, so many gross surfaces that i know that some 15 year old is not properly wiping down um going back to the theater and getting that full experience again was really like a slap in the face of like, this is why you go to the theater and I, you got to champion it. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, well, I'll kick it back over to you. What is your number nine? My number nine might be controversial cause I'm, I'm assuming it probably on your list. Uh, my number nine was nobody. 
Oh, it it didn't, but it was in my top oh, okay. twenty five of the year. Um, because yeah, nobody. Yeah, that movie rocks. It's dope. Yeah, yeah. And, and we did talk about that uh, earlier on. I, I believe. We did. We did like a mid-year catch-up after Memorial Day weekend. You're right. Um, and we talked about Nobody pretty thoroughly. I think it was like the first one we talked about. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can go back and give that one a listen uh, for sure. Um, but, yeah, that was a... I, I, went, I watched it again, I think semi-recently, because Kate hadn't seen it. So we watched mm. it. And, yeah, that movie is just, just so, so much fun. I mean, Bob Odenkirk... God bless him. So happy to hear that he like recovered from. Uh, he had had a you know a heart uh, attack or, or a cardiac event. I guess I would say um, yes. earlier in the year. And so I, I mean, I mean, big ups to him. So glad to hear that he's doing better and he's you know back and and, and still shooting. Uh, uh, you know, better call Saul. Um, mm-hmm. But it's movies like nobody that I mean is the sort of thing where it's like oh you also have that tool in your arsenal. Um, yeah. talented, talented man, and I hope that he continues to make movies like that. Yeah, he's like a triple threat, quadruple threat. I don't know. Tri- triples is nice. Triples is best. <laughs> Goddamn! <laughs> I had to get it in there somehow. You, you can't not. Triples makes it safe. No, triples is um, best. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's uh, my number eight. Uh, my number eight is Spencer. The oh, yeah. Did that it, one make your... I know you saw it. Did it? Did, I did. It barely didn't. I, I was between that one and Censor, which one I was going to go with. That's fair. And Censor is like really a, like an astute debut, for sure. Right. But I think Spencer's one of those movies, I think, too, like when we talk about cinematic... Like we just talked about Dune briefly, about like that's the experience you go to for the theater, which I definitely agree with. But there is also something satisfying about sitting with something that is a bit more quieter but is also mm-hmm. like just as astute and it's sort of technique and it's craft and cinematography sound design um score in this case um by johnny greenwood johnny yeah. greenwood had like three scores this year Dude, and they're all like in fire you <laughs> could just make all of them please yeah uh, it's fine like, i mean i love spencer anyway um it, it's got that creeping dread that i think is probably pretty similar to censor um if you know presented in a different way uh, of that growing paranoia just sort of eating at your gut the entire time the movie's going and then just paired with johnny greenwood's score did it worked wonders for me i was not expecting the type of movie that spencer was but i i very very much enjoyed it me neither and like because i'll be full transparency i know pablo lorraine's a very you know um revered filmmaker but this is the first film of his i've seen i didn't even see the the movie jackie that he did that i had not jackie kennedy um Mm -hmm. which i do want to go back and and check out but um yeah i was very impressed with this and if nothing else i i i've i think i i whether i've said it on this podcast or i've said it other places before i've been really impressed with the post twilight trajectory that both robert pattinson and Kristen stewart has taken mm-hmm. um they've really like notched impressive performances and i think this is for for me leaps and bounds are best uh, i mean oh, yeah. other than maybe personal shopper but like yeah i thought it was it was an impressive uh gorgeously shot like experience and um this was another one you know watching it at a theater where it's like this this felt right watching this at home it's like it'd still be good but Yes, there's just something about being in that experience, especially a very perspective-heavy movie like like Spencer is. 
Oh, for sure. And, and um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell it. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie and you're going into this, uh, but I mean, it is low key a horror movie, um, in the vein of something like The Shining. Uh, of uh, there are even shots in the movie that are very much like. That's very Kubrickian in the way that they're framing her walking down this hallway and the way that it sort of pushes and changes perspectives and it feels like it's kind of closing in on her as as she gets more and more stressed out and more and more paranoid. And I Yeah. It is very much if you're going into this with with that idea of trying to get in the mindset um, of Kristen Stewart's character, which is of course princess diana uh in in this movie but um if you're going into it with that perspective and sort of trying to understand and and view everything from her perspective and not so much from uh, a really dry documentary-esque uh like realism um then everything sort of takes on a different meaning and a new meaning and it gets really kind of frightening yes no for sure it's it is it's it's terrifying at times i mean there's one dinner scene that i don't think i'll ever ever forget uh for better or worse because <laughs> it is just uh, unsettling you have to be able to do things you hate you hate there has to be two of you it's the real one <laughs> and the one they take pictures of um but yeah that's spencer that's my number eight so i'll kick it over to you what is your number eight my number eight was the last duel Ooh, nice the last duel is my number two really okay yeah yes okay <laughs> That, I okay, that makes me much more interested movie. in the rest of your list then. Okay, shit. Um, no, I loved I loved Last Duel. Like this this is like and, and the thing is too, it's like I I, I tend to gravitate toward like auteurist works. Sure. But like I mean Ridley Scott, I think, is a master filmmaker. I don't think anybody could argue that, but honestly his output in the twenty you know, probably two thousands uh, on has been really spotty for me it's like for every sure. movie that has hit like a gladiator black hawk down uh or a counselor there's been like robin hood or like uh body of lies uh mm-hmm. you know, just just like just like he's not like he's not churning consistent right great movies out but like the last duel to me i think just sort of it, it blew me away because I, I didn't really know what to expect or I was just sort of like I knew that like he could stage large scale like medieval action really well which the movie delivers the sort of the titular duel is like a rip roaring like gnarly feet of sound and mud and blood and it reminded me of the gladiator like yeah. honestly like the the framing the sound design like everything in it is that big grand epic scale but I'm glad, like, the approach that got us there is, yes. to me, the movie. Like, the yep. movie is called The Last Duel. The the um, marketing and trailers were showing, like, the medieval battles and knights going at each other with swords. And it's funny that The, the Last Duel is honestly not really about The Last Duel. And that's, no. to me, what made it, like, okay, that's kind of a cool bait-and-switch that you've pulled there. Yes, that's, that's the most important thing, and that's what I was... I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I was building towards as well was that the movie leading up to it. And I think that's what makes that scene so stellar is because of yeah. everything you've gone through is that the movie is essentially. Um, so it's I think one thing that, that, you know, obviously Scott's direction has gotten a lot of praise, but we have to praise the script. I think the script is oh, yeah. phenomenal, which is written by 
Ben Affleck and Matt Damon returning mm-hmm. to write. Uh, they also star in the movie. Uh, and they co-wrote it with Nicole Holofcener, who did movies such as Please Give, and uh, most recently, Can You Forgive Me, which landed both um, Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant um, Oscar nominations. So um, so they co-wrote it, and they basically they took like a Rashomon structure over a horrible act from three different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I feel like, you know, people movie stars like Ben Affleck and Matt Damon you know who can kind of just do whatever and actually taking their sort of like hashtag me too embroilments like because they both their names have been thrown in the ring whether it was directly or indirectly but it's like it's landed in there so the fact that they're like taking that along with nicole hall of center and like contextualizing it into this story is like really like a really good like here's the past but it's speaking it now but in a way that's not like do you get it like it it feels natural and no yeah it, it's it's really impressive and it's uh yeah sorry i've gone on too long I, I'll no it's good i mean thoughts. it's your number two pick so that's why i'm curious about like number two of the year i, I kind of want you to talk at length about the things that you adored about it I, you i mean you're hitting on a lot of the same key points that i think i, I picked up in it too um yeah and then the performances across the board i think are that's are what i was going to mention next outstanding too. Are, i mean yeah. All the way across. I mean, starting with, I mean, most importantly, I think Jodie Comer, mm-hmm. um, who I think most famously, I haven't watched Killing Eve, but I think that's where, like, she's gotten most notoriety. She was in Free Guy earlier this year. Um, which I didn't which see, was a, but... It's a fun, fine movie, and she's good in it, but, like, she's phenomenal in this movie. And I think, uh, and also everyone across the board, Matt Damon is great. Uh, Matt Damon, unafraid to be, like, a moron like his character yeah. sucks like yeah he like um you know and then adam driver and 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 ben affleck whatever ben affleck is doing whatever yeah made, i guess someone someone <laughs> i saw this online somewhere and i wish i remembered who said it so they could give him the credit that he was basically playing uh king richard from the disney robin hood but in live action form and i was like yeah I see it. I definitely yeah. see it. Um, but what what really, I think what really, the structure is really what, like, blew my mind about the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Is, like, I mean, it's Rashomon. Like, it, it's from different perspectives. But the, the intricacy and the subtleties, especially in the horrific uh, act that we see right. between, like, Adam Driver's perspective and Jodie Comer's perspective... Right. And the fact that the fact that what had happened wasn't far off, but just the actual perspective and tone of how it felt for each person right. was when I was like, this is a very good movie to this is a great movie. Like, right. this is uncomfortable to watch, but this is brilliant in the way that it's like, you know, different reliable narrator, unreliable narrator, whatever the case may be. Right. Um, it's I was just I was impressed. I, I, I was really impressed by it. I was really, um, I love how the movie, it uses the Rashomon style to its advantage in order to tell the, the perspectives. And, you know, of course, uh, depending on where the characters are, they have different perspectives and even different parts of the story to fill in those gaps. So it's, it's, you know, running over different portions that, that sort of fill in more of a background as it keeps repeating over the course, which I really appreciated it. But I, I liked how 
the the story itself relies on subtlety and and one of the things that you're talking about is there being a, a difference between Adam Driver's perspective of the horrific act and Jodie Comer's uh, perspective of the horrific act and Matt Damon's character gets rolled into it and his kind of difference that he responds in his memory versus how he responded to Jodie in her memory and right. the story is sort of overlapping on all these different things where there's slight little small subtle changes but then at, at the, all these little backdoor dealings and, and small things that are going on to sort of shape like who's it, it, the story is sort of trying to either justify something terrible or downplay something terrible. And overall, the entire core of the story is like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, something really awful has happened here and we're all bickering over who's in the wrong, who knew what, when, who was doing what, and what needs to happen is justice. That's it. That's all yep. that needs to happen here. And we're arguing over the wrong thing. And that's why I think when it gets to the last duel you're like cool I'm glad that there's like a, a really well shot and really well choreographed and put together fucking fight that's going on because it's entertaining however at the core of this is like something terrible that's not being addressed that we need to get to still yes and I think that's the the also what makes the sort of finale brilliant than just an isolated piece of action is because the result of it is a bit of a like well did anything change like it changed mm-hmm. for somebody, one person in particular. Yeah. No spoilers, but like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it was a duel to the death. Somebody had to, right? That's but like, <laughs> kind of what a duel is. Uh. <laughs> but but like, but it's just like, where do we? Where do you go from here? Was right. anything learned? Did anything change? Like, and it's like, no, these systemic problems are still in place. So nothing right. like it. The, the fates might have changed for somebody out of this, but the whole thing is fucked basically <laughs> well and that's what i'm 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 saying or i guess I, I'm, I'm trying to convey uh, uh, but like the when justice needs to be done and there's you know the uh, the logical ending of a duel a slaying happens at the end of the duel there's still no right. justice everyone goes home but they show other people and their perspectives on what just happened and some people are still feeling bitter some people are now feeling vengeful against you know the the killer and it, it's just like we're still we're, we haven't addressed the problem and nobody's going to get over it we're just repeating the cycle. Like, it, exactly. We're just going to go right back into it. And like it, the, the problems are the laws. The problems are people aren't listening. People aren't talking. And it's, it, I'm the movie has a lot to say about things that aren't being said. And that's what I really appreciated about it. I am telling the truth. The truth does not matter. There is only the power of men. This should be settled quietly. I'm innocent. I request a duel to the death. If you lose, your wife will suffer dire consequences. But that is the last duel. That is your number eight. It might be and higher my... now. Like I said, these numbers, <laughs> they, they can flex depending on For how sure. the conversation goes. And my number two, which I guess that puts me at my number seven, hmm. which is this movie called Flea. Um, have you heard of this movie, Chris? I have not. Um, so it is a it is a documentary. Oh, and I it, have heard it, of it. Yes, and it's animated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the most original movies that I have ever seen. And it essentially is, um, and, and part of the reason they animated it is for safety's sake, you know, names and places and people were changed, um, but it is the person actually giving their testimony. 
um, and it is this this person who um, this person tells a story about how he fled um, fled Afghanistan in the uh, in the early is the early late eighties early nineties um, when like the the like freedom fighters were like under attack and so they they fled and it was his story about trying to get out um and like all the hoops they had to go through and how his family had to do stuff and it's like it's it's a movie that's like it's tough subject matter for sure but the way they go about it like is is just one of the most sort of beautiful and poignant ways i could think of to tell that story um and and it's uh it's impressive it's like you know i've seen some good animated movies of the year it's also my favorite animated movie of the year in addition to documentary it's wow it's really impressive um and i think it's it was out in theaters it might be on vod pretty soon but um it's one i could not recommend enough it's fairly new right it came out like beginning of december i think it did yeah and it didn't have a huge release and and i know neon put it out because i felt like i was seeing a lot of movies they were putting out because there's still i mean it's t- two more movies they put out that, that are gonna be no three actually holy crap that are gonna be on my list so Shit. Right, uh, they busy. had a they have they had one hell of a year, uh, but it just seemed like I saw the trailer a lot. Um, mm. Like I know it played in front of Spencer and it played in front of some other stuff, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it should be. I know it should be on VOD. I think fairly soon, and I I would recommend checking that out if you can't find it at a theater near you. Yeah, I'll keep an eye out for it. Awesome. Well, let's move on. Your number seven. Well, wait, was it Dune? My number seven was Dune. Yeah. So if you want to just roll on through, sure, we'll roll on through. My number six is. Paul Verhoeven's Benedetta. I have not seen Benedetta. Okay. Uh, Benedetta is on VOD right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is um, it is very Paul Verhoeven. Um, Good. It takes, <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly provocative. Uh, it takes place in uh, 17th century Italy uh, where a nun... Um, sort of th- essentially she she goes to a nunnery when she's young and it's very clear that even as a kid her and like the headmistress have like a, a running in uh, the headmistress played by charlotte rampling um second appearance on this list after dune um <laughs> okay she was the matriarch of the benedictory oh in, yes uh, dune yes so um so essentially this other uh woman is fleeing a horrible circumstance and so she goes to the nunnery and they sort of they spark a a relationship um but it is believed that um that benedetta sees uh like has like the miracle like she she has like the the thorns of christ and that she saw christ and it becomes basically a series of power plays of like who is what who is more like most righteous is somebody like a witch like it, it becomes a very like quick finger pointing um and it's yeah it's button pushing it's um that it, it weirdly enough the movie it reminded me of a little bit was uh especially there there are like vision sequences with jesus um that are that are used in a provocative way it reminded me of super like it reminded me almost oh. like it's in the tone almost of like the scenes where rain wilson's character is watching the like the bible man like character that oh Nathan yeah Blonde plays like it has that sort of like feel to it which i did not expect in this like uh you know very like very french film yeah. um but yeah it's it's um it's something uh um 
it's it's a movie that almost has to be seen to be believed um you know like i said it's gonna push buttons it's especially if you are someone of faith uh the way it utilizes imagery the way it utilizes um like you know crosses and things such as that um might turn some people off but uh sure it was not me i was very much the sickos <laughs> yes <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> meme while watching this movie <laughs> okay i mean i i you know verhoven has a spot in my heart so i can't believe i hadn't heard of it but i yeah i'll have to keep an eye out for it definitely i think it's on vod right now to, okay. to rent and buy so i would i highly recommend it um but we'll swing back to you for your number six my number six, and I'm assuming it's on your list, uh, so we'll see how this goes, uh, but Teton. <laughs> yes, it, Teton is my number one. It is, okay. It is my number one. <laughs> Sorry about that, to get your, That's your, okay. your two big ones out of the way so early. It's okay. I, I uh, No, 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 it's all good. I, I kind of figured Teton was going to be at your list and not quite as high as for hmm. me, but uh, yeah, I... I yeah, I adore this movie. This is the this is the newest film from. Um, hopefully, I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Julia Ducarno. Uh, she she most famously did the movie Raw. Um, that that like had a like there was like a gimmick of like they were handing out barf bags at the screening, um, but the movie was much more than that. And similarly with Teton, um, I think that um, because I think the uh, it's a movie that i which is also a really good testament to to a movie especially when it hits your wavelength is i don't think you could really spoil teton because it's such an experience of a movie that you could like explain the events that happen and i don't think like you You could try to explain the events that happened it wouldn't be easy I guess it's true. It would not be easy. And for the sake of for the sake of discovery, because I went to the movie fairly like even if you saw the trailer even, like it doesn't give anything away. No. Even the sort of the one thing I knew going into the movie, which I too won't spoil for people, but it's like I knew the one sort of uh inciting incident, um, which was, you know, very um it got a lot of like Cronenberg comparisons. Um sure. it's fair. Which is fair. I definitely think it's fair. Like, there's so much body horror in this movie that there, there's, it's hard to, when you do body horror, do not bring up Cronenberg. Right. But I do think, but Cronenberg's also a very cold filmmaker. It's not a, a, a feature, not a bug. It's just, but that's just <laughs> the way his, this is the way he operates as a filmmaker. Right. Whereas this movie, about the midway point when I realized, like, this movie is actually, like, super life affirming in its really weird like fucked up way like that's i think that's sort of what like what really like got to me is like about the again it's so hard to talk about this movie without spoiling anything right um but uh but i should say that like it it basically hinges on two characters um whose paths cross um and have to stay consistently crossed for certain reasons um you play uh, vincent who's played by vincent linden and uh alexia played by uh agatha russell russell hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly is there's a scene where they're at a fire station and it's like a that's like a dance uh yeah. like a party like after and and the, the the look that they share that basically just says these are two very broken individuals um both in the midst of rebuilding themselves and both in the midst of like 
rebuilding both in, the, in a mental state but also in a physical state there's a lot of like the flesh you know again Cronenberg has a lot to do with this movie as well um we'll just say that Alexia's character has a thing for cars we'll leave it at that um and that Vincent is uh juicing consistently uh is on steroids um oh yeah one scene that it was just like I audibly was like it, there were so little people in my theater, so it's like I didn't want to make a noise. But there was one scene literally where I was like, "Stop, stop <laughs> doing that! <laughs> Please stop doing that!" Like I was like, like grown to care about these characters by mm-hmm. by the end of it, and it's just like it's also, and it's a movie that I feel that could only be done cinematically, right? This this wouldn't work in any other medium. Like this no. is a movie that's totally so solely a like singular cinematic experience, and I had to go. Because it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, at the or Cannes, Cannes, Cannes. Can. We're gonna say Cannes. Um, but um, it it uh, it just didn't do that well in theaters, and so like I went on. I think the last it only played for like a week at the closest multiplex to me that was playing it. So I drove out there to a, a, a chain redacted, but one that I'm not a particularly big fan of, be, just to go see this movie. <laughs> and I'm glad that I did um because it was yeah it was it's it's so weird that it's my number one and it's hard to like put words in it but i also want people to discover it and it's also like really difficult to talk about the movie like i mean i think that's reason enough to for it to be a number one even i mean like i i know that you watch you watch far more more movies in a year than i do like on average like and so like you've seen all sorts of crazy shit under the sun and so then to be presented with a movie that you can't quite put into words as to like what was happening in it or the the way that it presented these themes and how it made you feel but you know that it made you feel strongly enough about it that's your number one movie of the year like you're absolutely right that it's something that couldn't be told in, in another medium i mean that's that's a feat in and of itself in order to present something like that that can evoke those types of feelings and i think that's why like it's not the type of movie that's exactly my wavelength i know that um you and I may have had more of a one-sided conversation when we did our episode that featured uh, Crash, which is Cronenberg's right. movie about cars and sexuality and that sort of thing. And, and it it didn't quite vibe really strong with me. I, I liked it, but you know, I, I wasn't quite on the same wavelength that you were at. I think we're kind of here um, where, you know, it's your number one movie of the year and it's sort of like in my middle of the pack of still my top movies. I still very much enjoyed it. But yeah. I... I think that's saying something where, again, it's not quite my type of vibe. It's not the type of movie that I really like, you know, sought out. But this movie, for weeks after I saw it, I wanted to talk to somebody about Titan. I wanted to rewatch it, or the, there was just I was looking up videos of people breaking it down or reading articles on it and stuff, and trying to get a better grasp and a better understanding of it because it is wild and weird and bonkers, but it's affecting. And I mean, what else is cinema for? exactly yeah it's to go go places that you've never been before take right. chances take risks and that's yeah and that to me that's that's titan and it, it, there are things in it that i've never seen in a movie before yes. uh and i <laughs> like, hope to never see again <laughs> <laughs> mostly yes but i think it's i think it's done in such a way here that like tells such a great i think fascinating story oh, yeah. um and um yeah it's just it, it and it's a yeah, it's just a feat. Like it's a, a feat of like sound and fury and images, and it it's uh, yeah, impressive to say the least. So 
Um, yeah, that's my or that was your number six. My six, your number one. My number which one, which would bring us to your five. Your five. Yes, which I think we're gonna we're gonna. I think we still we're probably gonna end up with two more overlaps here, and I'm probably gonna get one that is pretty high on your list. I'm going to assume my number five is pig. Oh, that is my number two. Uh, I thought it might be pretty pretty high. <laughs> I still I still fucking love pig, man. Oh, dude, this movie. Talk about a movie that like subverts expectations, but in the best way the possible. The best possible way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my god. I I my wife and I watched this movie and just like openly weeped by the end of it. Which like that th- that's the thing. It's like if you if you gave that description to somebody of. Nicholas Cage is is a hermit with a truffle pig and somebody kidnaps his pig and he's going back to get his pig like that sounds like a very John Wick esque mm-hmm. kind of premise with crazy given, cage with crazy cage but like the fact that it's so subdued and naturalistic strange but also like beautiful um oh, yeah. like i i i I don't put a lot of stock in the Oscars or awards in general, but if, if Nick Cage does not get an Oscar nomination, I would be very, very upset because he is phenomenal in this movie. Yeah, and I, I think we talked about this one at length, too, in our, our 2021 catch-up uh, episode, uh, episode 15. So um, go give that a listen if you want to hear more about what we thought about Pig. Um, but I I guess that's all that I will say is that, yeah, if... Uh, if he's not nominated for Best Actor for Pig, um, then there's no point in ever holding another Oscars again. Because it's just no. a bunk. It's just a just bunk award show then. Yeah, end there's no it. point. End it. The, 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 we don't get a lot of things to care about scene alone is like, come on. like I've rewatched that scene several times just to just... It's such a fucking masterclass of, again, I'll use the word subtlety, of just... Yes. It's a quiet conversation, but it speaks volumes. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, this this movie, and also a first time filmmaker too. This Michael yeah. Saranowski, like that's you know, in addition to Censor, like there you go, another another like astute uh, debut film. What a what a film, what a debut for sure. Oh, yeah. um, um, but I think that brings us to your number oh, five. My number five. So I I th- this is not on your list. Most likely is not on your list. Uh, but my number five is The Green Knight. It is not on my list, and it wouldn't didn't even make my top twenty five. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I didn't think that you were a big fan of this movie, um, uh, uh, which is weird because uh, I love uh, I love David Lowry's other films, and it's very much that sort of hypnotic uh, kind of experience. But uh, it's it's one I want to rewatch. But I want to hear your take because it's your number five. I don't want to talk too much about what I didn't like about the movie. I want to hear what you liked about the movie that's what we're doing here and i well and i understand i i mean i know there's a lot of people who didn't like the movie and i think maybe on a different day i probably wouldn't have liked the movie either i think uh, what contributed a huge amount to my enjoyment was um the coolidge corner theater that's that's near where i live here in boston um they have like one premiere big screen where they do like the 35 millimeter and the 70 millimeter projections and like it's a it's a big big size theater it looks like the inside of the paramount there in seattle of oh just, nice like, the big dome ceiling and everything so like yeah. it's just a really really cool venue and i hadn't been able to actually see a movie in there whenever i'd gone there before i'd always seen it in like the smaller side screens and mm-hmm. the green knight was the first one i'd seen that was presented in that and so like Again, having not been to the theater for a very long time and then going and this being the first 
big, like large projection presented great sound system and everything in there. And just the imagery in the movie, like the, the story is fairly lackluster just because it's based on, you know, old like Canterbury tales type story. It's very bare bones as is very allegorical, uh, open to interpretation. There's some gaps that are, that they're, you know, filling in or not even bothering to fill in because you kind of get the gist of it. It's more or less just a movie of back to back compositions throughout. And I was just very much entranced with like, this movie's fucking gorgeous. Like I get the gist of it. It's a journey. He's going from point A to point B to prove his honor. And what is honor to a knight? Uh, and it, I get it. It's a very uh, simple story. And the fact that they they knew that, and so they're like, well, we're not going to go all in on really fleshing this story out because you don't you don't need to. It's about the journey to get us there. And yeah. I, I just sort of vibed with it, I think. Totally. It, it's a vibey movie, that's for yeah. sure. And I, I, I do want to rewatch it because it was, it was just, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like maybe it wasn't in the right mood, maybe I wasn't in the right frame, whatever the case may be, but I, I had a hard time getting into it. But I will say... The one thing I really do like liked about it, and I, I like seeing him in, in more and more things, is Dev Patel's performance in the movie. I thought yeah. he was great, um, and and always always could use more Dev Patel. So um, that was the one thing that kind of kept me going. Um, but I, I yeah I just yeah for whatever reason this one didn't connect with me. But I'm I'm definitely in the minority because it's on your list and it's been on uh, many many other other lists. So uh, yeah, it's, that's it, it, it's one of those that. There, there's there's definitely you know movies that are acclaimed where like after you know maybe you watch it a time or you know another time and then you're like i don't know it's you not me but mm-hmm. like green knight might be one of those where it's it, it might be me it might not be the movie's fault it might just be me <laughs> but right well and I, I, like i said it might be me like i honestly could see myself uh, coming off like a like an especially tough day at work or something like not being quite in the right mood and going into this movie and like it's two hours and ten minutes of mostly images, and if I'm not there for that like type of movie, I probably would have hated it. So I just happened to catch it on the right day at the right time. And again, it was one of those that sort of stuck with me. And I was thinking about it a week later, and I was like, if I'm still thinking about your movie a week later, you did something right. Oh, greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will be there. But uh, my number four is another movie that's that's really stuck with me. Very quiet movie. Um, is this uh, is a uh, Petite Maman? Um, it is. It's the latest film from. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Selene Siama, uh, who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire from oh. a couple years ago. Um, and it's a movie like, and I know we've talked about this before. I think off mic specifically with horror movies specifically, but I think I do feel this a little bit in general. Is like I'm sick, dead tired about movies about grief. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I am like so. It's it, not that I'm over it, and not that those feelings aren't valid. I think like I've had those feelings myself, but it's just like I'm tired. I'm just tired. Yeah. But the way Petite Maman goes about it, and it's also a time travel movie in its own way. It's a 76 minute movie, but it's like its own sort of like the way it sort of contextualizes grief and sees it through like a young kid and how the movie is not like a huge downer droning bummer. Like it's actually like really like thoughtful and really like, um, really like 
just just beautifully done. Um, okay. I, I don't want to say too much more about like the time travel aspect. I guess I'll, the only thing I'll I'll give the setup of like uh, a young girl's grandmother dies, and uh, you could. It's a good movie about showing and not telling. Like you can kind of infer that the mom and the dad have had some like tumultuous stuff going on, but like he's there for her. Um, the mom leaves, and and the the uh, the girl um, meets a, a, a girl and her mother uh, across the pond. Um, and I will I will leave it at that. It's a very like I said, it's a very small scale movie, but it feels like everything happens, and that's hmm. like sometimes those movies are also like the ones that really like sneak up on you where it's like if you explain this to somebody like i just did you're like that eh, doesn't sound like anything happens in that movie but <laughs> but a lot does <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, especially in a 76 minute movie i mean that thing's i mean you gotta be moving to get your story out in 76 minutes for sure for sure um but that's petite maman that's my number four cool. um so it's to you what's your number four my number four was the french dispatch Ah, uh, nice! I loved the French Dispatch, and it didn't make my top ten. No, uh, oh, okay. or even my or even my twenty five, and that oh, is le- shit. and that's less a knock. That's not a knock on the movie. That's just spoke to how many movies I really liked this year. Wow! Because <laughs> like, wow. the French Dispatch like would be like twenty six. Like it's like yeah, right there. Barely missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah. I, I mean, it, it tickled me in the right ways. Um, and I, I still, it, it's, I'm still thinking about it. And again, we've we've talked about this one uh, in an earlier episode. Um, so if you want to hear more about the French Dispatch, oh man, what episode was that? I should have oh, written these down. That's okay. It was our fall catch. Oh, fall catch episode, up. episode yeah. thirty-three. So yeah, go give a listen to episode thirty-three. We get more in depth about it. But it's Wes Anderson. If that means something to you, then you know what you're getting in for, and you've probably already seen it. Yeah, I've seen it twice actually. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 good. It's I liked it's, it better the second time. Yeah, I I would say I did as well. Um, my so I guess we're at number three. My mm-hmm. number three is Red Rocket. That's my number three as well. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> Red awesome. Rocket is fucking great. It is great, and and uh, if anyone had ever listened to like. Um, like over under movies back when I was doing on that show, uh, RIP, RIP to the other shows that I, I've done. <laughs> I think what like struck me about Red Rocket going into it because like I I respect him as a filmmaker, but I've never quite been on like the Sean Baker train. Like I liked Tangerine well enough. Mm-hmm. Like I respected it more than I liked it. Florida Project is similarly like yep. I didn't enjoy watching it, but I was like this is a very well made movie, right? Um. But Red Rocket was that one that just like hit, like was like this movie is hilarious, like and and it's long too for a comedy. It's like two hours and ten minutes. Oh but, yeah, like it never feels it. I don't think. Um, no, it moves very it quickly. Really moves, and like because and and it is also like kind of sad and poignant. Um, you know, I, I think a movie that it reminded me a lot of was Killing Them Softly. Andrew Dominic's killing them softly. Yeah, um, from like the the where they had like the 2008 election as like the backdrop to that mm-hmm. movie going on, and so it's like very unsubtle, but like also works. And similarly to this, it's like in a small Texas town. There's like Trump signs, and the the, the uh, 2016 election, uh, you know, coverage is playing in the background of TVs, and it's mm-hmm. like, um, 
and it's like the the character in this movie uh simon rex who is phenomenal like the guy oh, from scary movie three that i most, exactly. mostly the thing i recognize him from <laughs> like yeah i know he was apparently on mtv and i know he's done some music i guess but like i was like you're always charlie sheen's brother from scary movie three to me like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and he he is phenomenal but it also like i feel like it fits in with that theme of like the the election droning on because it right. has that rampant like american narcissism like that specific narcissism that's like oh yeah unique and sad in american culture of just like i'm going to scheme my way to the next thing yeah i don't even know what the you're a snake yeah, he's a yeah. yeah he's like i don't know what the next thing is and he's not even doing it like in a big scale way he's just doing it to like get to the next thing get by and it's almost like he gets like like he gets uh, uh what's I, I i hate to keep just throwing movie comparisons out and i i don't think this movie is quite as good at this level and this character i think is even less sympathetic but like uncut gems would be another one probably yeah. of like we're like howard ratner adam sandler's character in that movie like it like basically gets off on the thrill of the gambling mm-hmm. um and like the big bet and the and the next high and like Simon Rex's character in this movie is basically that where he like just totally is just just getting off on whatever the next thing is whether that's an actual con whether that's right. an actual person he wants to fuck like <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's, All it's just whatever feelings. the next thing yeah and yeah. he's he's yeah he's he's pure narcissism like in its most distilled form and i was going to make the comparison to uh, the other Safdie Brothers movie, or an- another Safdie Brothers movie, of uh, Good Time. He very yeah. much reminded me of Robert Pattinson's character of fast talker, uh, knows exactly what to say in the exact right time in order to get people to to you know bend to his will. But he's he's completely relying on the goodwill of other people in order to get his foot in the door. And then once yes. his foot is in the door, you can't get fucking rid of the guy. And that's that's. I mean, the movie starts out with him riding in a bus into town and basically begging his. You know, it's his. It's his wife. Like they're still currently married, apparently. But he like left her at some point in the past to go to California to become a porn star. And he like shows up and basically like, oh please, you know, just need need to get in the house for a couple of days. He gets in the house. Hey, you know, can I get a ride into town to get a job? Gets a ride into town to get a job. And so, like, the first, like, 30, 40 minutes of this movie where you're sort of getting a feel for his character, he is sympathetic. And you're and it, it's following a trajectory that's very similar to the Florida Project where it is small-town America. They are, like, not in good shape. They're using drugs. And they are, you know, they're basically, you know, quote-unquote, like, white trash. Um, yeah. Like this, it's this recognizable house that pretty much every town has of like the broken down cars in the yard, broken out windows. There's people, you know, getting drunk in the yard and yelling at each other every night. It's like that kind of town. And right. he finds himself in it and you are almost sort of like, oh man, how is he going to, you know, get his way out of here? And then of course, as the movie peels back the layers, you realize that he is like the worst of the bunch. He's a poison yes. pill in this society uh and like that sort of slow reveal of him going from being you know a sad sympathetic character to being somebody that you absolutely by the end of it revile um is great and just on the back of somebody like simon rex who again the same thing with me i went into red rocket thinking that this was like a boner comedy like a mid-2000s 
Yeah. Like, it's like him naked on the poster with like a, a donut floaty. It's and I'm the like, exact same oh, okay. cover, almost indicative of that movie Sex Drive. Do you remember Sex Drive? Yes. It's yes, almost the same you. poster. Yes. So yeah. I get your your wavelength there. For and sure. then it is not that movie. No. At all. I mean, there's boners in it, but it's not a boner <laughs> comedy. Yeah. It's just a comedy He's... that happens to feature boners. There are boners. The, the, the man is, uh, we'll say he's he's... He's gifted. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, man, yeah, Red Rocket. This movie is is yeah. This movie is a blast, but it also has something to say. Like it's like yeah. the best kind of like comedy where it's like it's very smart about what it's trying to convey. It's also hilarious. It's got a lightning rod of essential performance. Um, yeah, it's it's great, and I think it just expanded to like outside of New York and L.A. So. Um, Check it out. I'm on top of my game right now on like every single possible level. Physical stamina, my mind is sharp. I'm taking 5 HTP for serotonin in my brain. Yeah. With my skill and ability, there's no denying what I can do. The universe is on my side, bro. Um, well, I think we're at the point because my number two we already talked about, which is the last duel. Your number mm-hmm. two we already talked about, which is Pig. Uh, my number one, we already talked about, which is Teton. So that brings us to your number one, and I, 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 I will. I'm assuming you I will can guess it. <laughs> I know what it is, but uh, based on process of elimination, but I will roll out the red carpet for you to say what your number one is. My number one was Licorice Pizza, which should not be too much of a surprise to most of the people that that probably know me. Um, I, I fucking adored Licorice Pizza. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it was in my top twenty-five, just barely missed my top ten, and I, okay. I want to, and I saw it, and I should also preface too, um, you know, it's like I've seen some of these on award screeners, which are not like you know, that's a that's a privilege I'm very grateful for, but it's mm-hmm. Liquor's Pizza is a movie I would like to see in a movie theater, uh, and I have not got a chance to see it in the theater yet. Um, but I'm going to hear very soon. That isn't to say that the movie wasn't less magical or anything like that. Mm, right. It was just like, I just saw it in the wake of cramming so many things in um, that I just ultimately. But uh, I want to hear more about your take because this, this movie this movie is very joyous for yes. sure. Yes. And deceptively sinister in the way that it's presented. Uh, in in oh. that... And this was something that I was so I went and saw this with uh, uh, my friend Andy, uh, which you know he joins our corn screens, and yep. uh, my wife Megan. Uh, we went and saw the seventy millimeter uh, presentation at the Coolidge Corner. I keep nice. shouting them out. I swear to God, they're not sponsoring us, um, but uh, you're free to if you would like to Coolidge Corner. Um, and, and the I I loved it in, in its its you know presentation and its normal you know Paul Thomas Anderson fashion of. Um, not exactly like a Linklater film of like that sort of hangout film, but we spend like long periods of time with our characters as they're going about their daily lives. And it's, it's not presented in anything too uh, crazy or fantastical. You know, it's, it's young love in the seventies. Uh, and you know, it's the unglamorous uh, side of show business of this uh, young 15 year old kid who is desperate to abandon his youth and become an adult as fast as possible. And he's, he's, always trying to open a new business and and he's not so much like uh uh, simon rex where he's scheming to make money but he's very astute and is trying to like okay well 
uh, pinball machines are no longer outlawed. So I need to very quickly pick up pinball machines. I'll be the first one on the market that has it. Like he's, he refers to himself as a song and dance man, uh, uh, which uh, of course, uh, Alana um, in the movie uh, uh, played by um, Alana Haim. Alana Haim. Thank you. Um, she even calls out like song and dance man. Cause he's a 15 year old kid. But he right. he wants to take her to dinner. He wants to brag that uh, he he you know works in the business for for this long, and he knows all these connections and stuff. On the opposite side of that, Alana is a twenty eight year old who claims to be a twenty five year old uh, who is in Arrested Development. She's not moving on into her life. She's not looking for a career. She's still hanging around in her hometown. She's still living with her uh, parents and her two sisters. Uh, she's uh, working at the school taking pictures mm-hmm. of kids, which is how she meets him. And Her two sisters played by her actual sisters her actual who formed sisters. the band Haim, which is great. Uh, yeah. That was nice to see. Um, to like a, a point where they start hanging out and of course... Um, and I, I want to make sure just real quick, um, Cooper Hoffman's character, uh, which, uh, another thing that warmed my heart, of course, uh, the PTA's longstanding relationship with Philip Seymour Hoffman, then to cast his young son, Cooper Hoffman into the movie was, I mean, yep. that, that, you know. Well, and the fact that there's the, fuzzy the feelings. there's the, oh, absolutely. And then there's the, the sequence as well. If you want to go further down that rabbit hole of like one of his schemes was they were selling waterbeds. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, mattress salesman, like uh punch truck love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hmm. that's a fair right. point. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even made that connection. Um, but so the movie is told about like young love, first love, but Alana, who is a 28 year old woman is basically courting this 15 year old boy um and though the the 99 of the movie is not they, it's not a romantic relationship she's very no. much jealous of him as he's seeing other girls she is in some ways presenting herself uh, uh sexually to him and sort of leading him on um in in some of their relationships or doing things to actively make him jealous by being with other men but flaunting it in front of him and mm-hmm. sort of the thing where She's not coming out and being like, well, I'm going to be with this 15-year-old boy. But she's not saying no. She's not turning him down and being like, no, you don't have a shot in hell. Very much is continuing and, and knowingly uh, letting him stay around and keeping one foot in the door that there's going to, to remain romantic. Until that sort of continues to blossom over the course of the movie. But then, of course, it's like very wrong in every sort of way that you can like it is predatory in a way and i think because of the way that the movie is presenting it is that again if this was a gender reversal where cooper's character was a 25 year old a 28 year old who's who's lying and saying that they're a 25 year old and they were going to a, a high school and picking up a 15 year old girl and taking them out to dinner and doing all these things it would be much more on the nose nefarious and I don't think the characters would, like, it wouldn't be as fun. There would be something a bit more sinister, like, that's right up front and in your face. And I think that the way that it's presented here, PTA is is playing with that on purpose and and putting it in the soft focus lens of it being, here's a recognizable love story, but you should notice that right there, like, on the other side of this, is something that is, again, to bring something back from, like, The Last Duel, 
not being talked about, but maybe we should bring this up to the forefront and talk about it. Yeah, no, I think that's, and I'm I, that is probably one of the most nuanced ways I've heard this movie discussed. Um, because I don't know if you're aware, uh, there's a lot of discourse surrounding this movie, uh, no. which is around around the age gap. And, um, you know, social media platforms to me are not the uh, more most nuanced way to go about it. And it's just people shouting to be right. Um, Because I think there is a I think there's a case to be made. Again, I think it's a nuanced thing. It isn't just a like this is wrong or this is a or or it should be brushed aside. Mm -hmm. And so I think your your take on it is it like like an incredibly nuanced take of like, hey, the filmmakers acknowledging that this you know should be looked at like in right. a, in a way um but is packaging it in a familiar way and i think that's the whole purpose of the movie i think some people i mean i it's i don't know i just feel people are reading it wrong a little bit of like just just saying like oh there's an age gap so therefore i was like yeah but it's actually trying to explore that and actually using right. that to tell a story which you've already laid out perfectly from like alana's in complete and utter arrested development aimlessly not going anywhere cooper hoffman's a very like you know quick quick you know you know he's 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 playing older than he really is and yes. it's like one grow up like you said and so it's like there there is more nuance to the story being told here um yes you know, I don't. I don't see Red Rocket getting any age gap discourse. <laughs> no, I, I had. I mean, admittedly, I had. I had bigger problems with the age gap that was going on at Red Rocket. Since yes, that was. There was much more wrong with the age nefarious gap things Red, going yes, on yes, with so Red very Rocket. Very terrible yes. things. But uh, like, it's, there's very, very clearly a smoke and mirrors play going on here with Cooper playing like playing older and Alana playing younger where you have to sort of keep reminding yourself because it's not being presented that way but like you have to keep reminding yourself that it's being done that way on purpose is that right. it's trying to lull your brain into accepting that it's normal and it it's no it's no coincidence that these characters are also tied up in show business and that they're right. trying to make it and they're talking with producers. And there's the, like, it is also sort of relating back to the Me Too movement of saying, I know that we're all calling out the obvious, obvious bad things that are there in front of your face. But there are other things that are under the surface that are being played like they're normal. And they're not normal. And no no one's paying attention to it because it's being presented in a way as if it's okay. And yep. maybe it's not. And the the movie, for God's sakes, is called Licorice Pizza. Two things that don't go together. It's wrong. Like the the you don't put licorice on a fucking pizza. Like it's it's called that for a reason. Um, well, partially it was also a it was also a chain uh, in in the seventies and eighties, and it's a uh, records nickname for for final. Yeah. But still, don't put licorice on a pizza. That's great. No, I think I, I like your I like your way about it because it's like it's called licorice pizza and it's even in the font of the of the like chain. It was mm-hmm. like a licorice pizza was like a Sam Goody, like essentially. But okay, but it's never. I don't recall seeing a licorice pizza in the movie. Nope. I don't recall hearing it even mentioned. And so it's like. I feel like the name. I think you're spot on in that. Like the name is named that for what you're saying, but it also evokes the time because it's a thing that was squarely from that time. Sure. Yeah. And I think um, one other thing I wanted to call out specifically is uh, Bradley Cooper's character, who is based on 
the, the real life producer uh, who's responsible for Wild Wild West, or specifically yes. the giant mechanical spider in good, Wild Wild good, West. Good bad what alum Wild Wild West. <laughs> Wild Wild uh, West. Yeah, John Peters. Uh, John who Peters, is, who is, uh, and, and it's said in this movie, he was Barbara Streisand's uh, hairdresser, mm-hmm. and uh, then he became a movie producer, and he was uh, her husband, I think, for a decade. Which it, it, I want to hear what you have to say, but I have to say my brain breaking thing that went through my head because the first movie that John Peters ever produced was the the '70s version of A Star mm-hmm. Is Born. So here's Bradley Cooper who starred and directed in the 2018 Star is Born, playing John Peters, who produced the 1970 Star is Born. Oh, that, yeah. That, that Inception level, like, <laughs> it's just, it hurt my brain. <laughs> layers. There's layers to it. Um, no, I was... So there's a scene in Licorice Pizza when they are selling the um, the waterbeds, and they go to John Peter's house, and they're supposed to be filling up a waterbed there. And John Peters comes out of the house, and he's it's it's in the trailer of him trying to explain how to pronounce Barbara Streisand um, yeah. to Cooper Hoffman, and it's a very funny scene. But there's a, a portion in the scene where it's Cooper Hoffman and all of his fifteen year old friends with Alana, like they tend to do in the movie, just hanging out, and uh, 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 Bradley Cooper's character. It sort of says something to Cooper Hoffman that implies he basically says like I, I bang a lot of chicks all the time. It's just what I do, and then he side eyes Alana and sort of like says something like you dating her like is that your girlfriend? And there's sort of this moment of like, ugh, like this guy is like obviously much older than she is. This is way like that's not like a cool thing to bring up. Like it's a kind of gross, creepy side comment. But then you sort of have to remind yourself that just because Alana acts like a child, just because Alana is hanging out with children, she's closer in age to Bradley Cooper's character in this movie than she is to Cooper Hoffman's character. Right. It's creepy when Bradley Cooper does it. Why are you not considering it creepy when she's doing the same thing to Cooper Hoffman? And it's it's stuff that they're they're blatantly putting up in your face of showing you like just like Alana does at the very beginning of the movie is she's walking around with a mirror and pointing it at your face is why is one wrong and the other not why are we just accepting one is okay and it's not and i think it's it's i mean i I, again i haven't seen the discourse so if that's something that is being talked about i maybe i'm kind of glad i didn't wade into it because i you shouldn't and but i like i said i think your take is much more uh nuanced and effective and actually weaved into what the film is trying to convey versus just shouting about it on your to your 10,000 followers or whoever um, yeah i mean if I you've know. if you've looked at my my barren wasteland of a twitter you see that's not something that i partake in so i'm, <laughs> I'm glad i've avoided it it's a smart 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 move and licorice pizza is a smart movie and it's one yep. that uh it's it it's also highly enjoyable uh but makes you think of all the things that you had just laid out uh so succinctly and it's out there it, it expanded on christmas day i think um so yeah, it's available and it yeah. is worth seeing. Um, like most Paul Thomas Anderson movies, I can't wait to watch it again um, mm-hmm. because I think now that I think about it, his last three movies, like I, I've like it took me a few times, and then I was like, oh no, this is brilliant. And mm-hmm. so, um, like Inherent Vice was that way. Yeah, um, the master. Uh, the uh the master actually i've only seen the master one time i was really i had to watch on, it a second time to be like okay i'm i'm absorbing it now 
Yeah, I loved it. I think that arguably is his best movie. I just need. I just. Oh. I wanted to savor that experience. I've just never watched it again. I want to. Um, but Inherent Vice was that way. Phantom Thread was that way as well. Oh, yeah. um, and then now Liquor's Pizza. So I look forward to seeing it again. Me too. Um, that's for sure. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand. Yeah, like sands, like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand. <sighs> no, like Streisand. Sand. But that's it. That's our top ten for 2021. And I'm looking forward to heading into 2022 for all the exciting episodes that we have planned for mm-hmm. all the movies that are coming out that we want to see um, i'm sure we'll splice in some minisodes here and there oh yeah um, but do you have any other thoughts before we we wrap up uh no uh i'm i'm uh happy to put uh, a year in the bag i i don't even remember when we released our first episode i'm really bad at keeping track of uh, this show uh february do. february so almost a full year almost a full year um yep. Uh, which is, uh, I mean, it's it's been fun. I I I hope that we've just gotten better over time as we've sort of gotten a, a, a handle on the show. Um, so I, I hope that we just continue to hone it into 2022 uh, and do more fun and interesting things with it. It's uh, been a privilege. Same here. Um, yeah, no, it's been an honor. I've really enjoyed what we've done. I feel like we've, I think we've hit a stride. Hopefully, uh, but there's always yeah. room. And so yeah, we're we're enjoying it. We hope you're enjoying it too. Um, I guess before I do the usual uh, uh, housekeeping at the end of the episode, we have one other order of business, and that is whatever we're talking about next week, which I believe is your pick, Chris. Yes, uh, our next episode is going to be about nuclear disasters. Oh, all right. Well, hopefully the episode won't be a disaster, <laughs> and hopefully that's um, yeah. something. We- and hopefully that's something we don't encounter in 2022. We've been we've been through enough. So I'll try not to jinx it. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anchor.fm google Podcasts, and many others you can follow us on twitter and instagram at the good bad what and you can email us at the good the bad the what at gmail.com if you're feeling generous and want to support the show we have a donations tab on our website and all donations will go back into the show whether that's to offset the cost of branding movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online if they so choose? Yeah, if you so choose, you can find my barren wasteland of a Twitter at thochristo89, or you can find me on Letterboxd at c underscore thom. And you can follow me on Twitter at riley90, that's r-y-o-l-l-i-e 90, or on Letterboxd at ryan underscore oliver. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with Nuclear Destruction. One... Yeah.